Hello everyone. Today is Friday, September 9th, and this is Family Wealth and Other Musings. I'm your host, Becky Easton. And before I jump into talking a bit more about Britney Spears and her nightmare conservatorship, I want to take a minute to thank you, my listener, for being here. I really appreciate you taking just a few moments out of your day uh, to listen to an episode or two. Um, And if you ever have any questions for me that you'd like to hear me talk about or some other episode idea, I'm definitely all ears and you can reach out and leave a comment for us or leave a review on iTunes or Spotify. And then we also have some sponsorship options available on Red Circle. And the um, the podcast page there is redcircle.com forward slash shows forward slash family dash wealth dash and dash other dash musings. And um, you can sponsor the show and have access to, um, or subscribe rather, not sponsor. Um, You can subscribe to the show and um, have access to some additional content that I've been posting periodically. And um, then also even just, you know, liking and following, donating one time, or as I mentioned, leaving us a review wherever you're listening would be really helpful. And um, yeah, this has been fun. Day, This is, I guess, day 32, episode 31. And I have to say, I'm pretty proud of myself for still recording every day and getting an episode out to you guys. Again, um, if you're just joining, this podcast was inspired by a challenge to post one episode every single day for one year, even on Christmas, even on my birthday, uh, even a few weeks ago while I was at, well, a few weeks, I guess just last week when I was at Disneyland. And um, yeah, I don't have a good history of um, sticking to uh, challenges like this. But, you know, let's see where we go. I would have quit long before uh, 32 days, though, before. So uh, pretty proud of myself. And uh, if you're ever doing a challenge or something like this, I'd love for you to let me know so I can cheer you on. And with that, and having been sidetracked a little bit yesterday by the news of the Queen's death, which the world is um, now truly beginning to mourn her loss. It does feel a little, um, I mean, almost everybody alive right now um, does not remember a time before the Queen. And um, so just so interesting uh, to kind of lose that constancy and kind of wondering what everything will be like. Um, But anyway, let's get back to talking a little bit more about Britney Spears' conservatorship that she is now finally free from. Hooray. Congratulations, Britney, for finally getting away from that. You know, um, she entered the charts with her debut single, Hit Me Baby One More Time, when she was 16. And since then, 
as I was saying a couple days ago, you know, she's been one of the world's most famous and beloved pop stars. However, despite that massive fame and fortune, she just never truly had full control of her own life. She was living under a conservatorship or adult guardianship, which is a legal structure in which the court granted Britney's father, Jamie Spears, and other individuals nearly complete control over her legal, financial, and personal decisions. This lasted for 13 years. It was initially established in February 2008 after she had suffered a mental breakdown. However, it was only meant to be temporary. Her father was able to transition the conservatorship to a long-term conservatorship and remained in nearly complete control of her life ever since that point. And although there was widespread speculation that Britney's conservatorship was abusive, the exact, exact details of her conservatorship have were largely kept private. And until very recently, and last year, Brittany had never spoken publicly about her life under the arrangement. And it was finally last summer that Brittany testified in a court hearing during which she described a shocking pattern of abuse and exploitation at the hands of her father and others involved with the conservatorship. The confidential court records obtained by the New York Times provided support for Britney's claims and showed that the pop icon had expressed serious opposition to her conservatorship as early as 2014 and tried unsuccessfully on multiple occasions to have her father removed from his position. In response to that, Britney's father flatly denied any wrongdoing, of course, and his lawyers filed a petition requesting the court investigate Britney's allegations of abuse. And then shortly after that hearing, <clears throat> both Britney's court-appointed lawyer, Samuel Ingham, and Bessemer Trust, the wealth management company which had previously signed on to be the co-conservator of Spears' finances, asked the court to be removed from the pop star's conservatorship. In a follow-up court hearing held right after, Judge Brenda Penny approved the resignation of Ingham and Bessemer Trust, and granted a request by Brittany to hire her own lawyer. To represent her moving forward, she chose Matthew Rosengart, a prominent Hollywood litigator and former federal prosecutor as her new attorney. Brittany then once again asked the court to remove her father as co-conservator, and she said that her father should be prosecuted for his alleged abuse. She also reiterated that she wasn't willing to undergo any more mental health evaluations, stating, I'm not willing to sit with anybody at this point to be evaluated. I want to press charges for abuse. Instead of investigating my capacity, I want an investigation on my dad. Whew. And as we later learned, after the judge took everything under advisement, she did eventually rule in Brittany's favor, freeing her from the conservatorship and allowing her to finally be in charge of her own life. So what's the moral of the story here? Ultimately, Brittany could have been saved from the years of control by her father if she had created a proper estate plan early in her adult life. And in fact, using a variety of different estate planning vehicles, Brittany could have not only chosen the person or persons who would be in charge of making decisions on her behalf during her incapacity, but she also could have created legally binding instructions stipulating how her assets and personal care should be managed during her incapacity. With the right planning, 
Brittany could have even spelled out the specific conditions that must be met for her to be deemed incapacitated in the first place. And with this in mind, I want to discuss how you and your loved ones can use proactive estate planning to create a comprehensive plan for incapacity so you can avoid suffering and the same fate as Brittany. Since debilitating illness or injury could strike at any time, at any age, if you have yet to create your own incapacity plan, contact me or another personal family lawyer right away to get this urgent matter taken care of. Where to start when you're thinking about planning for incapacity? Well, the first thing you wanna ask yourself is, if I'm ever incapacitated and unable to care for myself, who would I want to make decisions on my behalf? Specifically, you'll be selecting the person or persons that you want to make your healthcare, financial, and legal decisions for you until you either recover or pass away. The most important thing to remember is that you must choose someone like we've seen with Brittany, if you don't legally name someone to make these decisions during your incapacity, the court will choose someone for you. And this is where things can get extremely difficult for you and your loved ones. Although laws differ by state, in the absence of any estate planning, if you become incapacitated, the court will typically appoint, <clears throat> excuse me, the court will typically appoint a, a conservator or guardian to make financial and legal decisions on your behalf. And as with Brittany, this person could be a family member you'd never want managing your affairs, a professional guardian who charges exorbitant fees, or even a crooked professional guardian who abuses and exploits you for their own financial gain. Furthermore, like most court proceedings, the process of naming a guardian can be quite lengthy, costly, and emotionally draining for your family. And this is assuming your family members agree about what's in your best interest. If your family members disagree about the course of your medical treatment or managing your finances, this could lead to ugly court battles between you and your loved ones. Conflicts like this can tear your family apart and drain your estate's finances. And for an example of just how bad things can get, we can look at the case of Florida's Terry Schiavo, who spent 15 years in a vegetative state after suffering a heart attack at age 26. Because she didn't have a living will or healthcare directives indicating in writing how she would want medical decisions made for her in such an event, Shivo's young husband fought her parents in court for more than a decade for permission to remove her from life support before she was ultimately allowed to pass away. Fortunately, turmoil like this can be easily avoided through proper estate planning. Determining which estate planning strategies you should use to grant and guide this decision-making authority depends entirely on your personal circumstances. There are several options available, but choosing what's best for you is something you should ultimately decide after consulting with an experienced lawyer, because there are many considerations beyond simply whether to pull the plug, including how to handle such matters in the event of a pregnancy, whether to keep providing hydration and nutrition, and if so, what kind, and how to determine incapacity. These and other factors are not typically addressed in a standard advanced healthcare directive. With that said, I can tell you that one estate planning tool that's totally worthless when it comes to your incapacity is a will. A will only goes into effect upon your death, and then it merely governs how your assets should be distributed. So having a will does nothing to keep your family out of court and out of conflict in the event of your incapacity. 
When it comes to creating your incapacity plan, your best bet is to put in place an array of different planning tools rather than just a single document. And to this end, your plan should include some or all of the following. First, a durable financial power of attorney, because this document grants an individual of your choice the immediate authority to make decisions related to the management of your financial, business, and legal affairs, and can state how your affairs should be handled. A revocable living trust. A living trust can immediately transfer control of your assets held by the trust to a person of your choice to be used for your benefit in the event of your incapacity. The trust can include legally binding instructions for how your assets should be managed, and the document can even spell out specific conditions that must be met for you to be deemed incapacitated. A medical power of attorney. An advanced directive that grants the individual of your choice the immediate legal authority to make decisions about your medical treatment in the event of your incapacity. And a living will. A living will is an advanced directive that provides specific guidance about how your medical decisions should be made during your incapacity, including who should be able to see you and specifics regarding how you want your care to be handled. In some instances, a power of attorney and a living will are combined in a single document. In the end, however, there's just one thing to remember about all of these documents. They're just documents and they don't actually provide your loved ones with a trusted advisor who's often needed to deal with all potential outcomes and to navigate the legal system on your behalf. If you really wanna keep your family out of court and out of conflict, you cannot just rely on documents to do it. Instead, these documents should be created by a lawyer who will get to know you, your wishes, and be there for you throughout the many stages of life, and ultimately be there for your family when you can't be. Furthermore, in addition to the uh, estate planning documents I just mentioned, it's equally, if not more important for your loved ones to be aware of your plan and understand their role in it. As a part of the planning process, a personal family lawyer will hold a family meeting with all the individuals impacted by your plan, where we can walk them through your plan, explaining the reasoning behind your decisions and what they need to do if something happens to you. And in the end, you'll find that the best protection comes from combining your comprehensive incapacity plan with a team of people who will care for you, can watch out for you, and know exactly what to do in the event tragedy strikes. As a personal family lawyer, we can guide and support you to put in place both of these elements. And in doing so, it would make it virtually impossible for a conservator or legal guardian to ever be appointed or even need to be appointed against your wishes. And instead, we will create a robust plan that would allow you to stipulate how your life, healthcare, and assets should be managed if you ever become unable to manage them yourself. Keep in mind that your incapacity plan must be created well before you become incapacitated. You must be able to clearly express your wishes and consent in order for these planning documents to be valid. And even slight levels of mental illness or dementia could get them thrown out of court. Plus, as I mentioned earlier, an unforeseen accident or illness could strike at any time, no matter your age. So don't wait. Contact your lawyer today to get your incapacity plan started. Finally, it's vital that you regularly review and update your estate plan to keep pace with your changes 
in your life, in your family dynamics, and in the law. So if any of the individuals you've named becomes unwilling or unable to serve for whatever reason, you need to revise your plan accordingly. And your attorney can help with that as well. And although Brittany's story is certainly tragic and it ultimately came out well for her in the end, her case has shined a spotlight on the potential for abuse that exists within the conservatorship and guardianship system. And in fact, her case has already inspired lawmakers at both the state and federal levels to take a closer look at adult guardianships and push for increased oversight and transparency for these legal arrangements. And as Representative Lori Trahan from Massachusetts told Politico, if this could happen to someone who is as famous as Britney Spears, I mean, think about what's happening to the regular Americans. We need to pull back the curtain on this. By the same token, Britney's story should inspire you to help make certain that you and your loved ones have the proper estate planning strategies in place, which will prevent the loss of autonomy, family conflict, and potential for abuse that comes with court-ordered guardianships and conservatorships. So again, if you've yet to plan for incapacity, I highly encourage you to give me a call if you're in either Arizona or Colorado and you'd like to discuss this more with me. You can reach out to my front desk at 480-999-4455. And you can also find a personal family lawyer near you at personalfamilylawyer.com. Family Wealth and Other Musings is available for download on almost all the platforms out there. So wherever you get your podcasts, you can find me. And I'd love it if you shared an episode with a friend, if you thought of someone who might be interested in these quick chats. Um, I, again, would love if you'd introduce them, share an episode, because you're ultimately, um, you know, helping to boost the show, help me find more people and help more people find me. So again, thank you for listening in today. This has been Family Wealth and Other Musings, and I'm your host, Becky Easton. We'll talk to you tomorrow.